Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and thank you for listening to The Unchangeable Truth. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen as he looks at Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 16, and it's titled, An Examination of the Church. If you have your Bibles this morning, open them up to the book of Romans, chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 14, 15, and 16 this morning. If you're new to our church, we've been systematically, verse by verse, going through the book of Romans. It's a series that we've entitled, A Life Transformation. And today we're going to be talking about an examination of the church. An examination of the church. Now, when you go to see a doctor for an examination, you might even be healthy, but they're always going to find something that they need to encourage you about. For instance, you know, they may say, well, you know, you're in pretty good shape, but your, your cholesterol needs to come down a few points. Or you need to drop a few pounds. I, 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 had, a, I had a doctor one time several years ago that was really getting on to me, saying I need to drop some weight. And, uh, and then she, uh, uh, she, she burped and said, excuse me, I had a cheeseburger for lunch. And so anyway, uh, I, I still have a hard time with that. But, you know, you could be healthy and they could say, well, you exercise, but maybe if you exercised a little bit more. So they're not going to say, hey, you're perfect because we can't be perfect. And so this morning, we're going to do this examination of a church. And truth be told, I almost said, let's just take these three verses and we'll couple them with the next little bit of verses because here he's writing to the church at Rome and he's doing an examination of Rome. It's not really applicable to us, but it is. So instead of us just kind of skimming over it, instead of us just adding it to a larger group of scripture, this morning we're gonna look at how he examined the church at Rome and we're gonna examine the church here at Highland Park. Uh, now, you know there's no such thing as a perfect church. I think we're a healthy church, but we're not a perfect church. If you're looking for a church, perfect church, you're not going to be able to find that. And if for some reason you do find that unicorn, don't you dare join it. Because the moment you do, you'll make it imperfect. And so this morning, we look at an examination of the church. Look there with me, Romans 15, verses 14, 15, and 16. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So let's just stop right there. So this morning, what we've just read, we see that he kind of, he gives them some compliments, he commends them, but then he also challenges them with a charge. So that's what we're going to do today here at Highland Park. 
a little different than the normal way that I bring a message because we are going to take the, the, the pattern or the model, if you will, that Paul did there at Rome and we're going to apply it to us right here at Highland Park contextually. So with that being said, the first thing that we're going to see today is we're going to see a complimentary commendation. Look in verse 14. In verse 14, Paul's talking here about the church at Rome. He makes a statement, I'm confident that you are full of goodness. And I read that and I thought of Highland Park and I thought, you know what? I can make that very same statement about Highland Park. I'm confident that you are full of goodness. Matter of fact, there's another church in the New Testament that I think is very similar to us here at Highland Park. Over in Revelation chapter 2, there's a church by the name of Thyatira. And Thyatira, he basically writes to them, and Jesus said, I know your deeds, I know your love and faith, I know your service and your perseverance, and that you are doing more now than you did at the first. And I would think he would write the very same things to us at Highland Park. That you are doing more now than you did at the very beginning or you did at the first. See, unfortunately, I think a lot of churches, they think that their greatest days are behind them. They think that their greatest days are the good old days. There are a lot of churches that are functioning as a church, and they are attempting to do ministry, but they're doing it through the rearview mirror. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I remember the good old days. Oh, I remember this. I remember that. Oh, I remember when we were full. I can remember all these things. But friends, listen to me. When it comes to us as Highland Park, Highland Park is a thriving, growing, healthy church. And please hear this. Our greatest days are in the future. Now, I'm not bragging on us. Please hear me. I'm bragging on the bride of Christ is what the Bible says the church is. And when somebody brags on my bride, I always say, well, thank you. I appreciate the kind words that you said about my bride. And so today, we're bragging on the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, Highland Park Baptist Church. Now, with that being said, there are five different commendations that I want to give you that I think are kind of based off some of the things that he talks about right here, but we're going to personalize it, okay? The first one is this. I want to commend you on your committed leadership. Your committed leadership. Now, you heard me say this before. We're not a perfect church, but we have a perfect head. And somebody thinking, well, that sounds awful self glorious for you to say that. No, please hear me. I'm not the head. The head is the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll have folks that will usually, you know, they'll show up or they'll send something and they'll say something like this. I want to speak to the person who's in charge down there. And uh, usually, can I just say, usually that's an indication. This is not going to be a pleasant conversation. And I'll say, well, I'm not in charge. Well, who is in charge? I want to talk to them. You know, well, that's not, that's not deacons. That's not anyone else. Well, whose name's on the sign? Well, my name's on the sign. I've tried to get them to take it off several times. But I'm not in charge. I'm not the head. And our head, even though we're imperfect, our head absolutely is perfect because our head is Jesus himself. 
Now, with that being said, I want to say to you that your staff is committed to the head. Your staff is committed to Jesus Christ. Your staff is committed to following Jesus Christ. Now, you may not realize this because this may be the only church that you go to most of the time in which I would say this, thank you. You know, if you're like, oh, we just kind of hit a different one each week. Well, that's not healthy. Find one that you can grow in, you can be challenged in, that you kind of like being a part of, and dig in and serve. Serve. It's not you're doing a world tour throughout churches in Bay County. Be a part of one. But I know most of you, you know, this is the only church you go to, as it should be, and you don't get a chance to go around. But listen, as I travel around, and I preach at different places, and I do training at different places and all this kind of stuff, and I talk to my friends, do you know what I have found? I have found that they are dealing with all kinds of inner turmoil based on their staff. That staff are fussing or fighting or staff is lazy and staff doesn't want to do anything. I thank God, and I mean this with all my heart, that we have the best staff out of any church in the world. Right here at Highland Park Baptist Church. I could go down the list, person after person, how they are gifted, how they are called, how they are excellent in all that they do. And hear me, we also have a group of deacons who are just as committed to Jesus Christ. They understand that a deacon is not a deacon board, it's a deacon body. That a deacon doesn't arbitrarily, I mean, it's crazy. Most of the churches that I've pastored, do you know who the folks that I was always at odds with were? The deacons. The deacons were the policemen of the pastor. The deacons were the safeguarders of tradition. Well, I want to tell you, our deacon body here, they're my closest friends. They're my encouragers. They're my prayer partners. Our deacons here understand biblically what the office of deacon was ever intended for. And so they are a true servant of Jesus Christ. We're blessed with a great group of deacons here at our church. We're also blessed with leadership in other areas, whether it comes to finances or it comes to decisions that we make here, there, and all those various kinds of things. I'm just saying, guys, as we look at the bride of Christ and as I compliment you as the bride of Christ, I thank God for committed leadership that are committed to being servant leaders to Christ and the bride of Christ. But then there's a second area. I want to commend you for your constant generosity. Some churches, for lack of a better word, some churches are just so stingy. But not this church. You're a generous church. I'll tell you how stingy some churches are. I heard about this traveling circuit preacher and you know this was back in the old days and he would go preach at one church and then he'd go preach in another church and back and forth he showed up at this little church and he was met at the door by a deacon and the deacon said hey here's what we're going to do preacher you preach and when you get through preaching we're going to take up an offering in your hat and whatever is in the hat that's what we're going to pay you and he said well okay 
And so he gave him his hat and he went in and he preached. Oh my goodness, he, he did a great job. Preached a challenging, a, an encouraging message. Preached an excellent message. Gave all that he had after the service. The deacon took the hat and passed it up and down the rows. And then he brought it back and he gave it to this preacher. And the preacher looked in and there wasn't a single thing in it. Turned it upside down. Not a dollar fell out, not a nickel fell out, not even a penny fell out. And the preacher said, okay, church, let's bow and let's thank God for this offering. And they thought, what's he going to thank God for? We didn't give him anything. And so they bowed and he said, Lord, knowing this congregation as I do, I would like to pause and thank you that I got my hat back. (laughs) That's a stingy church right there. Hear me, Highland Park, you are not like that. You are generous. And let me give you some numbers as I am commending the Bride of Christ this morning. Last year, our church gave financially more in one year than has ever been given in one single year in the almost 80-year history of our church. Last year, you gave as the bride of Christ to the mission work of this church, to the overall work of this church, more than $3.7 million. And that means we're able to reach more. That means we're able to take the gospel further than we ever even thought God could do through this church. And what has happened over the last several years is at the end of the year, and this is the way we function and the stewardship team functions as they meet with Carl and they meet with me. Hey, we want to be informed by the facts. I think that's wise, but we want to be guided by faith. That we want to do something here through this church that there's only one that can take credit for it. That it ought to be so outside of what we can take credit for that only Jesus could be exalted. And so last year, we're there at the end of the year and we're like, oh my goodness, look at this giving. Look at how great it is. And we want to reach more. And it's the craziest thing. These teenagers won't quit coming. And they bring more. And these college kids won't quit coming. And they bring more. And these young couples keep having more. (laughs) And so we said, we want to reach more. Let's increase. Let's increase what our budget is. And we're like, oh my goodness, we may be setting ourselves up for a failure. And I asked Carl before I I came in here, hey, Carl, where are we on giving for this year? You guys, you've already given 10% over what you gave last year this year. I'm just saying you are a generous, generous giving people. And I want to thank you and I want to thank God that you're not one of those stingy churches. And and I know anytime I make a statement like that, there's always somebody with stewardship that's like, don't say that. They're going to quit giving. Don't say that. If you're sitting there saying, man, our church is doing so well financially, that means that I get to take it off. I don't have to give anymore. Or maybe I don't have to give as much. Hey, if you even thought that, your attitude's wrong. And I say this very lovingly as one who will give an account for you. Keep your stinking money. Because God's not interested in your money. God wants your heart. God wants your trust. He wants your faith. Because if you're thinking that, you're either giving to the wrong place or you're giving for the wrong reason. Because let me just remind you guys, we don't give to our church. We give to God. 
And we don't give our money because the church needs it. We surely don't give our money because God needs it. He doesn't need my money. I need to give it to God. And you need to give it to God more than God needs it. And a good steward realizes that everything I have belongs to God. Everything. I'm just returning a portion to him. And that I get to partner with God with what he is doing all around the world. And I don't know about you, but every single Sunday as I'm in my study and it's early, just a few folks that are here and I'll sit there and I'll take out my phone and and as I get ready to do text to give and I'm one of those that always said, y'all not give money online. That's terrible. That's horrible. You know, you got to write a check and then all of a sudden it's crazy. I started giving online and I'm like, I kind of like this. And I take out my phone and I text and I give my money. And here's what I say every Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. First of all, I love you. And thank you for loving me. And thank you for how you blessed me. And here's what I say as well. Thank you that I get to be a part of Highland Park Baptist Church. I commend you. For your constant generosity, I commend you. There's committed leadership here within the bride of Christ. But then there's a third area. You are a champion for missions. This is a missional church. Every couple of months, whenever we have our Discover Highland Park new membership meeting, and I sit there and I talk about how blessed we are as a congregation, I always make this statement, the reason why God has blessed Highland Park so well is because we are a missional church. And we are a missional church. Over and over again, my goodness, last Sunday, I'm like, hey guys, listen, we've been asked to help in South Florida with the recovery efforts. There are hurting people that are there. We've already sent a load and we're gonna send more and we're gonna send money and we need to help folks. And we took just a special offering up last Sunday over and above our normal giving, right? And then number that I was told before I walked in here this morning is you guys gave over $20,000 just for recovery efforts due to the hurricane. But that's the DNA of who you are. I stop and I think back, I don't know, goodness, 10, 11, 12 years ago as we were there and we were talking about, hey, what does our community need? We believe that God has placed us in our community so that we may make much of Jesus. We may earn the right to be heard and we ought to love on our community. Our community ought to be different because this church is in the community. And as we started talking to leaders in our community, leaders within our school district, here's what we were told, especially with the public school we were told that there are students that they get free breakfast, they get free lunch. It has nothing to do with them. By the way, in case you hadn't checked, nobody chooses what family you're born into. Nobody chooses your parents. It could be a A difficult situation could be poor choices. We don't know, but they get free breakfast and free lunch, but they have nothing to eat on the weekend. And here's what they were telling us. They said that some of them at lunch on Friday will start holding some back. And they put it in their backpack or they put it in their pockets. And they take it home so they have something to eat on the weekend because they'll not have any food. And we said, not as long as we're here. 
you remember those of you who have been here that long? We said, we're going to make a difference. We'll earn the right to be heard. It's not we're going to say, hey, we'll give you food, but you got to promise you're coming to our church. Hey, we're going to give you food, but you got to promise your parents are going to make good decisions, that dad's going to get off drugs, that, that you're going to be a good... Le- no, no, we're just going to say we want to make a difference. We want to love you. We want to do something so that one day when they are making their own decisions and they do have the opportunity, they say, you know what? I don't know what to do in this situation. This is so hard on me. I don't don't know how to figure it out but hey wait there was that church when I was hungry they gave me food and hear me church hear me early on I helped pack backpacks it's been years since I pack backpacks I don't even walk over to where they do it because I start horsing around and I mess the whole operation up Listen to me. When I asked this figure, I thought it was wrong. I said, go back and check again. This can't be right. We have given as a church in these 10 years over 100,000 backpacks so that boys and girls may have food to eat. You're like, I feel weird clapping for myself. No, this is the bride of Christ. You can't do this. Only Jesus could do this. We also challenged our life groups, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years ago. We said, here's what we want you to do. Every life group, we want you to come up with your own little individual life group mission. And many of them did. And a lot of them, they did it and they finished it. And they kind of moved on. And then there's some that stuck. And there's one that stuck. And it went beyond the life group to the entire church. And that is our Shoes for Souls ministry. Because as we got into the schools, we also started realizing, man, there are kids, they're walking around with shoes that have holes all in them. They're wearing shoes that are two sizes too small for them. And so we have a group of people that go out into those schools and many of you are a part of it, or many of you give to that, or many of you pray for that. And they go out and they measure the feet and then they come back and they wash those children's feet and they put brand new socks on those kids and they give them brand new pairs of shoes. They're nothing expensive. You've brought them from like Target and Walmart and various places like that. You would think that we bought them on Rodeo Drive. And if you don't know what that is, I don't either. Somebody said, say that. (laughs) And you know what, church? 10,000 pairs of shoes and socks that you've done since we've started this ministry. About a year ago, we're sitting there and we're looking around and we're like, you know what? We think God wants us to do more. We want to do more. How do we do more? And uh, I knew Ty Clark from when Ty served at a local church here. And Ty was down in the New Orleans area. He was the next-gen director for that area, which included in that was Panama City. But it really wasn't supposed to be included in that. And we started talking. And the leadership there, while they didn't mind him being a part of Panama City and helping direct that here, they really weren't, they really weren't uh, uh, tied into that. And they're like, we want you to focus more on New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans. And Ty's like, my heart's in Panama City. And so we started talking. And we're like, you know what? Here's what we believe. We believe that you could come back here. You could be on our staff. And you do the very same thing you're doing in New Orleans. Just do it on our staff. And we're not concerned about you going in and saying, hey, listen, we're going to start this club. But you all come to Highland Park. Instead, go in, haul off, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, let 
me tell you not about a church. Let me tell you about a kingdom. We have next-gen clubs in over 18 schools just within the last year. I was asked to go a couple of months ago and speak at the one at Mosley. I'm like, what are my limitations? What am I allowed to say and not say? Well, I mean, as long as it's in the Bible, you can say it. For real? They fed them pizza. They all came in the room. You're like, they just gave them pizza so they'd come. Isn't it a great thing? It's crazy. It's the trickiest thing I've ever seen. Feed them and they'll come. Some of you are that way too. And we just talked about Jesus. We talked about God's word. I could go on and on. Remember now, I'm here and I'm kind of doing what Paul, even though I'm not Paul, my goodness, but I'm doing what Paul did for Romans. I want to commend you. Bride of Christ at Highland Park. You've got some committed leadership, right? You are so generous. It is unreal. Talking to a friend of mine the other week, and he was saying this, our church, oh, man, our giving is so far behind. Our giving is so far behind. He wasn't able to be a part of a, of a training thing that we would normally do because their giving was so far behind. And I, I don't say anything because I'm like, oh, my goodness, I kind of feel bad saying my folks won't quit giving. Mm, to the glory of God. Let me tell you a fourth a fourth commendation, and that's your consistently changing. When I was moving to Panama City, Florida from Little Rock, Arkansas, where I pastored before I came here, and I shared with some friends in Little Rock, I was moving here. Here's what they said. They said, Panama City is a terrible place to live. That's what they said. They said, because the people that live there are not open to change. They're not open to innovation they said they're just kind of backwards down there. I mean, I got their name and addresses if you want them. <laughs> I have not found that to be true. Seriously, I found it to be right the opposite. Now, that may be true, you know, out there in the sticks somewhere. I don't know. But here at Highland Park Baptist Church, you guys are wonderful because you guys will try anything. I honestly feel like if I said, all right, here's the deal. We're meeting at 7 o'clock in the morning, and we're going to attack hell with water pistols. You guys would say, all right, I'm going to get mine today. Now, where do we fill up? Because I'm ready. I'm going, let's go tomorrow. You guys are willing to try anything as long as it means the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forth. I can remember several years ago as, as I was praying and, and looking at things, realizing that we have a lot of people that can't come on Sunday because Sunday's a regular work day. And I'm like, you know what? I think what's, here's what we ought to do. I think we ought to start having a worship service on Wednesday night and quit doing the one on Sunday night and instead on Sunday night focus more on discipleship. And there was just a few, just a few, a couple that said, oh, the preacher's canceling Sunday night. How horrible that is. Just a couple. But the overwhelming majority of you said this. You know what? We're willing to try anything if it means that someone may get saved. We're willing to do whatever it takes. We trust your leadership, Pastor. You go ahead. And friend, I'm telling you right now, I believe with all my heart that there are, I should have got the figures, but I didn't, that there are folks right now that are a part of the family family of God that heaven will be their home because they sat in a Wednesday night worship service and they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and an invitation was given and they responded and they have forever been changed. I dare say if I sat there and said, hey, we're going to change back. 
You'd be like, do we have to? I like it that way. Mm. You guys also, you remember after we took off for, I don't know, six weeks due to COVID, we didn't have any in, in-person, in-house meetings. And by the way, I've, I've, I've made a, kind of made a pledge to God. I'm not used to this being on this side, this side. Everything has to be on the right, nothing on the left. <laughs> you guys remember, and by the way, I, again, I, I, we'll never do that again. I may be the only one here, but we'll never do it again. We'll always have in-person worship. But listen, we took those six weeks off and then we're getting ready to come back and we were doing the whole distancing thing and we scooted the chairs apart and took chairs out and marked off rows and this room that'll seat 1,700 all of a sudden became 400 and, 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 and I'm like, oh my goodness, everybody's gonna be chomping at the bit. We haven't had in-person worship for a while. Here's what we gotta do. We're gonna have four services on Sunday and then we're gonna have, we gotta have a Saturday night. They're gonna be flocking in here and it's just, you know, we don't have the, the, the seating capacity we normally would. Let's start a Saturday night. Some of you remember, we had a Saturday Saturday night service when we relaunched and we had 30 people show up. And I'm like, well, we're not doing that again. You just confirmed what I already knew. You guys love your college football on Saturdays. But you were, we, we tried it and it didn't work. I'm just saying, guys, that you guys are willing to do whatever it takes. Here's what folks say. say they say nobody likes change except a baby. And even they cry about it, right? I found that not to be the case with you. You are so open to change and doing things differently, and I compliment you on that. It is so unique. Most Baptist churches are known for many things. Change is not one. Let me tell you a fifth one, then we'll move on to something else. I commend you because of your continuing growth. I know you can make statistics say anything. For instance, did you know this? 42.6% of all statistics are made up right on the spot. I just made that one up too. You can make statistics say anything, so I wanna give you some hard numbers. And some of you are like, what does this have to do? Jesus Christ, it is a testimony to the work of Jesus Christ through his bride here at this church. Paul is bragging on Romans. I'm bragging on the work of Christ here at Highland Park. Did you know, did you know this? This church started in 1943, almost 80 years ago, with 39 charter members. 39 members meeting in a living room. And then here's what has happened. You can look at the kind of the church growth model or the scale that we have. All of a sudden, you get into the 70s and the 80s, and this little bitty church all of a sudden starts growing and get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And then all of a sudden, you, you kind of get to the end of the 80s and the 90s, and you see this where all of a sudden it'll, it'll get 600, 700, close to 800. And then there's this internal squabble that happens some of you fussed and fought about things that didn't matter. And then it dropped back down to like 500. And then all of a sudden you'd see it, it'd start growing again, 600, 700, almost 800. And, 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 and you know, the folks that were here would start saying, oh my goodness, we gotta build a bigger room. We need to build a bigger building. Let's build more. And then all of a sudden you'd start fussing and fighting over whether you should build or not. 
and it brought them back out. I mean, I could show it to you. It goes like this over and over. And if you've been here for very long, you know, I, you know I'm telling the truth. And then you know what happened? Jesus just finally said, you know what? Forget you. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. And he said, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll, we'll just break through this thing. Broke through a thousand. And then listen to me. Listen to me. On a normal Sunday here, on this main campus, I'm talking in this room, I'm talking preschool, I'm talking children, I'm talking on this campus, a regular Sunday, almost 2,000 folks is where we are right now. If you factor in our other campuses that we start in order to do uh, autonomous churches, I mean, we could talk about that mission piece again, right? We, we planted churches in Cincinnati. We planted churches. Uh, we helped plant churches in South Africa or West Africa. We planted a church in Miami. You look around our community, four different campuses that we have planted with the goal of becoming an autonomous church. But if you factor in the three, uh, excuse me, yeah, the three other campuses that right, we're a part of right now, you're talking almost 2,500 people on any given Sunday under the umbrella of Highland Park Baptist Church that get to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. And when some folks hear that, here's what they say. They say, that's just too big. God never intended a church to be that big. Now let's think about that statement for just a moment. What's our standard? I always say this, chapter and verse. What does the Bible have to say? What is our standard? How does the Bible uh, approach church growth? Well, we have a little book called Acts. The very first church was the church in Jerusalem. They started out 120 members. And then all of a sudden, they had this amazing evangelistic program called Pentecost. Chapter 2, 3,000 were added in one day. Chapter 4 of Acts says the church had grown until there were 5,000 men. That's not including the women and children. And then you go all the way through Acts. You come down to Acts chapter 21 toward the end of the book. And the last reference to the church at Jerusalem said they had a myriad. The KJV says they had a multitude. Myriad means 10,000. So here's a church that went from 120 to 3,000 to 500 men to 10,000. So I think clearly, I think clearly God works in big churches. Friends, listen to me. If God doesn't like big churches, you've got to say that the church in the book of Acts was not God's plan. You've got to understand that growth is good. God has always blessed healthy organizations with growth. I thank God over the years that we have grown. Why? Because that's more people that have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's more parts of our body that come together that we're able to go out and reach more. We have more resources. And if you sit there and you say, well, I don't like big churches. I only want to be a part of a small church. Pray about that. I think I can tell you what the answer will be. So, I commend you. But then I want to give you a challenging charge. Look again at verse 15. He says in verse 15, he talks about admonishing one another. The word there means to challenge. He talks about how I spoke bold words to you. I wrote bold words to you. 
He's saying, I want to give you a bold challenge. Now, I believe this. I believe that if Jesus were talking to our church today, if Jesus were writing our church today, I can see him writing something similar that he wrote to the church in Philadelphia over in Revelation chapter three. Here's what he said. I know your deeds. He said, see, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. He says, I know that you have a little bit of strength, yet you've kept my word and you have not denied my name. So here's what I believe Jesus would say to Highland Park today. I placed before you an open door that few churches on the globe have. And I'm serious when I say that. That this church is unique. That this pride is different than any other church anywhere. So what do we do? What is the charge? A few of them. The first one is this. We need to continue to comprehend how a large church functions. There are 46,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. Did you know that the average, average size of a church in the Southern Baptist Convention is 200 members or less? And that's members, and that's not attendance. Attendance is going to be less than that. There are only about 100 or so congregations in that 46,000 that average in attendance 2,000 or more every Sunday. We're one of those hundred. When you look at the statistics, the percentage, that is less than 1%. You're like, why are you saying that? It almost sounds like you're bragging. I am. I'm bragging on the bride of Christ. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you the opportunity. Some of you are not going to like to do this. Oh, and that's the reason why I'm going to ask you to do that. Here's what I want us to do. When I want us to think about what God has done through this church, what Christ has accomplished through this church, so outside of who we are, so beyond anything you and I could ever take credit for, makes me want to shout hallelujah. So we're going to do it together as a group this morning. I'm going to count to three. We're not going to say hallelujah. We're going to shout hallelujah. The first service, the lights almost fell. Then there was a guy in the balcony that loves to shout. So he he was really, really loud. But here's what I want us to do. We're going to do this under the glory of Jesus Christ. You're like, what if I'm not a member here at Highland Park? In just a moment, we'll give the opportunity. You can come and you can be a member. So just go ahead and act like you've already made that decision, okay? One, two, three, hallelujah. Here we go. One, two, three, hallelujah. Oh, you can do better than that. The Presbyterians scream louder than that. One, two, three, hallelujah. Oh, isn't that good? Some of you have been holding that in for a long, long time. Listen, it's okay to brag on the bride of Christ. He and he alone gets glory. Not a one of us did anything. I'm just thankful we get to be a part of the ride. Mm. Our church is totally different. Of all those churches that run consistently over 2,000 in attendance, we're one of the few located in a medium-sized city like Panama City. Most of the rest of them, they're part of metropolitan areas. That's why I love saying this, we're the biggest small town church anywhere. And I love the fact that we kind of have that small town friendliness of a, you know, that's different than a big church. Most of the people in this room, at one time or another, either through this church or another church, you are a part of a small church. Big churches don't function like small churches. 
For instance, the very first church that I pastored in North Mississippi, 200 members, ran about 100 in attendance. There were six deacons, three of them needed to get saved. (laughs) Jennifer will tell you that's the God's honest truth. Maybe four. Small church, everybody knew everything that was happening in the church and with everybody in the church. And they knew what was happening at our house because they, they, uh, they were bugging our phone conversations. It's true. That's not even a joke. They did. They did. One of them finally felt bad about it and shared it with us as they were leaving town. That they were listening to our phone calls. And I was saying some bad things about them. That's just, you know, anyway. The, uh, they, they knew everything. You can't, there, there's no way you can know everything that happens here. So, so anyway, they get into it. They have a special call business meeting because there were a few that said, you know what? We need to buy a ride lawnmower. Oh my goodness. There were some that said, we can't have a ride lawnmower. And there were some that said, well, we got to have a ride lawnmower. And so they, they had this big blowout business meeting. And there was a bunch of them that said, we're for it. And there was a bunch of them that said, we're against it. And the furs barely won. And I was so excited. I'm like, ah, oh, the church has got to go buy a brand new riding lawnmower until I realized they expected me to be the one to drive that brand new riding lawnmower. That's part of my job. Listen, listen, guys. Small churches know everything. Nobody knows everything that goes on at Highland Park Baptist Church. I don't know everything that goes on in this church. And thank God I don't know everything that goes on in this church. There's no way that I can know everything, nor do I want to know everything. I don't see that as bad. I see that as wonderful. Why? Because there's so many ministries that are happening through this church that I don't know anything about. And that is so great. And so because of that, the way we function as a large church, you have to be trusting of your leadership. And you trust your staff and you trust your leaders to do those things that they believe are the absolute best thing for our church. That's just a part of being a large church. Now let me stop and say this. If you want to make the very best of a large church experience, there are three groups that you've got to be a part of. The first group is the celebration group. That's what we're doing right now. The good news is you can check that one off. You're a part of the celebration group. See, a lot of times people in small churches will say this. They'll say, well, you know what? I want to be a part of this church because I can look across the room and I know the name of everybody that I see. Well, a celebration group can be 100 or it can be 10,000. Hear me. In a large church, you're not going to know the name of everybody in your celebration group. You're not. Now, if you, know, if you sit in your seat, same place, same area every week, then you kind of get to know the people that sit there and you know them by name and all that other kind of stuff. But you could come to this celebration group. You don't know the person in front of you. You don't know the person behind you or the person beside you. But can I tell you, that's okay. Do you know why? Because we're not here for us. The celebration group, that's where the word of God is proclaimed. That's where praises to God are made. It's not about those around us. It's about the audience of one. So you're all part of the celebration group. Here's the second group that is key for a large church. 
It is the congregation group. What is the congregation group? A congregation group is going to be a group of anywhere from probably 10 to 50 or something along those lines. Here at our church, it's known as a life group. It's a smaller group. It's a group that you do know their name. They know your name. You know how to encourage each other. You know how to pray for each other. You're doing life together. It is so key and vital in a large church for you to be a part of a congregation group. But then there's a third group. It's the care group. And the care group can be a smaller group that's come out of that congregation group. It can be a group that you do missions with. I don't know, maybe you pack backpacks with them. It could be a group that, I don't know, maybe a group of you, you teach middle school, Sunday school, and that's kind of your care group. But it's a smaller group that you do ministry with and you do ministry to. It is vitally important if you are going to become the person that God has called you to be through being a part of this church for you to be a part of all three groups. Celebration, congregation, and care. So we gotta comprehend how a large church functions. But here's the second charge. We've gotta construct more facilities. Some of you are like, I knew you were gonna come to that. We do, it's crazy. You guys, you old timers, you remember when we used to meet in the old fellowship hall for Wednesday night meal and prayer service? They, you new people have no idea what the old fellowship hall is. That's the bottom floor of the student building. And they would be upstairs and we would be downstairs and you guys would come and eat and you would have food dropped everywhere. Then we would come together with the food everywhere and we would open up the Bible and there'd be a few of us in the room and, and, uh, and the teenagers would be upstairs and all of a sudden we would have to take the broom and we would be hitting on the ceiling. You're too loud, be quiet. It hadn't been that long ago. And then we built these bigger, newer buildings, and we gave the entire building to the student ministry, the upstairs and the downstairs. There have been a few Wednesday nights I thought they were going to burn the whole thing down. And can I tell you, it's not big enough for them now. It's not big enough for them now. Our college and young adult ministry, you know, we have a house across Sarasota called the College House. Do you know why we called it the College House? That's where they meet. And uh, I don't know, probably about a year and a half ago, two years ago, they, they, they had about 15. College house was fine, had extra space. Then all of a sudden, they outgrew the college house. We moved them over to the choir room of the choir suite in which the choir doesn't even meet in. We need to rename that. Not the choir room. That'd be a great name. Not the choir room. <laughs> it seats about 125 people. They came over, they were over there, I don't know, might have been a year at the most, and guess what? They outgrew that. They broke fire codes. They were shoehorning everybody in that room. I walked in there one time, and I'm like, good gravy, this is like a sweat box. I don't want to come in here. And so we moved into the fellowship hall. And they continued to reproduce, <laughs> multiply. Maybe multiply is a better term. I didn't, I didn't mean it, some of you filthy-minded people. I didn't mean it that way. This altar this morning, get your mind right. <laughs> if they keep multi I mean, that room wasn't designed for them. It, they're, they're meeting in there because of the space, but it's not the best for them. And then kids, it's crazy. We need more room for our children and our preschool and our academy. 
I'll never forget when I was a college student and, uh, and we were in a pastoral ministry class and they had a video uh, that Dr. W.A. Criswell was speaking. He was the longtime pastor of First Baptist Dallas when that thing exploded. And Dr. Criswell was sitting there and he was like, men, boy, actually he said, boys. Now, if you're gonna have a great church, a growing church, then you've gotta have the three Ps. We all took out our pens, started writing. The first one, preaching. I'm like, amen. Good, sound, biblical preaching. You've got to have sound preaching. We wrote that one down. And he said, and the second one, and I'm thinking it's going to be something else spiritual, like prayer, pray, something like that. Here's what he said. Parking. <laughs> You've got to have parking. And the third one, he said, preschool space. Did you know that the preschool space is the handshake of a church? The first impression that we make on these young families, these young couples with babies is so important. Now, with that being said, what about our parking? It stinks. I'll give you some numbers. Pastor Carl went out this week and counted every single spot here on our campus here at 231. We have roughly 557 parking places. Half of them grass, half of them paved. I know it's hard to find one. Get here at 715, you have plenty. That's how many we have, 557. Most studies show that a church will not grow beyond the number of people that you can park. The rule of thumb is 2.5 people per parking place. If you multiply 2.5 times 557, it's 1,392. I've already told you on normal Sundays, just on this campus, we have almost 2,000 people. Do the math. 600 of you are getting really creative where you park. <laughs> we put signs everywhere, thou shalt not park here. This means you, yes, you, really you. And there's still some of you, if you could pull into the hallway, you would do it with your car. <laughs> I get it, I understand it. It's just the fact of church growth. We need some more parking. Because most people won't come or hear me. They won't come again if they can't find a parking place. And I've heard horror stories, and many of you have as well, and you've even told me of people who were coming to church, people that were unchurched, that needed to hear the gospel message, and they drove through our parking lot, and they couldn't find a place to park, and they said, we're just going to go on home. We've got to construct some more facilities. Let me give you a third one. We need to consider intentional strategies in saving marriages. One of the things that breaks my heart more than anything else is when I hear of young couples in our church contemplating divorce. And it happens way too much. I'm convinced Satan knows that he cannot come in and destroy the unity of our church. So instead, his, his strategy is I'll just do it one couple at a time. And when Satan divides a husband and a wife, it devastates children and parents. It totally uh, devastates and destroys their relationship within that congregation group, that life group. And I'm as mad as Hades at the devil. Friends, listen to me. I don't want to put up with it anymore. I don't know the answer. 
I've been praying about this, thinking about this, dreaming about this. I think probably we need to consider someone in the future on our ministry staff who is a minister to marriage and family, and they're trained to counsel, and they're also trained to lead enrichment to prevent marriages from divorce. Let me give you, I got two charges left and we'll be done. The next one, and this is what God's really laid on my heart. I want to charge you. I want to challenge you. We need to cultivate our prayer life. From Genesis to Revelation, God never says, my house shall be called a house of preaching. He never says, my house shall be called a house of praise or a house of music. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And preaching and music and the reading of the word, please hear me. I believe in all those. I practice all of those. But they do not override prayer as the defining mark of God's dwelling presence. And the truth is, I've seen God do more in people's lives in 10 minutes of real prayer than in 10 years of my sermons. Go ahead, don't be afraid, amen. And I know you're a praying people. But what we need to see is we need to see our church become a praying church. We need to see a prayer revival happen in our church. We need to see people get burdened so much that they pray every day, individually, and they come together and pray together corporately, and they have prayer partners every day. Just saying, we've got to deepen our prayer life if we're ever going to go to that next stage of reaching more for Jesus. And here's the last one. I challenge you to contend to see more people saved and baptized. We baptized more last year than any one single year in the history of our church, and we praise God for that. And again, no one can take credit for that. It is only through the power of Jesus Christ working through his people that are obedient. But friend, we are in the greatest business in the world. You're like, I didn't know it was a business. Well, it's probably a poor word, but here's the business we're in. We're offering hope. We're offering eternal life to a world that is lost and dying. And there is, please hear this, there has never been a better time to be a part of the body of Christ than right now. And so I compliment you on the things that you are doing. I commend you for being unique unlike any other church, but then I also challenge us. God has given us, as his bride at Highland Park, some amazing open doors of opportunity. Let us not linger. Let us not be afraid, right? Let us not allow another day to lapse. Let's instead, through the power and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, dare to go where we've never gone before, walking through those doors so that 
The world might never ever be the same and lives will be changed and families will be put back together and we'll be the ones that are just standing there saying, huh, only Jesus, it wasn't us. We're, we're just as shocked as you are that he would do that through this church. Yet I'm telling you, he wants to challenge us because he wants to do something. When the generations after us come, they're gonna say, I didn't think there was really much to those people. How in the world did that happen? Jesus. We've got to get our focus, guys. We have this idea that we are in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying. We're in the land of the dying, going to the land of the living. All the things that we talked about, very important for us as a church, the most important, they're all used to take as many with us as possible. We exist to love God, to love people, and haul off and tell the story of Jesus Christ. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I wanna thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.